0: Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Asset Allocation Report for July 25, 2022. I'm Phil Adler. It's fair to assume that for most of us, the current state of the economy is a huge factor in our investment decisions. But correctly parsing all the economic data can be highly challenging. Confluence Investment Management Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady joins us today with a warning. Don't be fooled by a low unemployment rate. It may not reflect a healthy labor market. Bill, remind us first how the unemployment rate is calculated.
1: It is all those working. Plus, all those looking for work, which is the definition of the labor force divided by the number of people actually employed. It does not include those who are not working and those who are not seeking work. There's a related ratio that we'll talk about in this, in this podcast called the participation rate. It is the ratio of the labor force, those working and seeking work, compared to the non-institutional population. Now, what's that? Well, that population includes those who are in the military, incarcerated, or in mental health facilities. So the non-institutional population doesn't count those groups.
0: The size of the labor force, then, is a, a key part of the puzzle. Even if the number of available jobs declines, a similar decline in the labor force can keep the unemployment rate
1: low, right? That's exactly what happened last month. The number of of people employed fell, but so did the labor force. The labor force decline is due to people opting out of the labor market.
0: How has the size of the U.S. labor market changed over the past few decades?
1: The best way to answer this question is to look at the participation rate. From the end of World War II into the late 1960s, the participation rate rarely rose above 60%. Women were mostly excluded from the labor force for social reasons, and the baby boomer generation was too young to work. But the combination of boomers entering their working age and women joining the labor force in masse led to the participation rate to rise steadily to a peak of 67.3% in March of 2000. However, since then, the participation rate has been in a steady decline. This is partly due to maximizing the number of women in the labor force. That peaked in April of 2000 at 60.3%, compared to the current 56.8%. Perhaps more interesting, men's participation peaked in October of 1949 at 87.4%, and has been in a steady decline for decades, and is now at the current level of 67.8%. The reasons for this lack of participation are numerous. Lack of training can prevent people from working. So does the lack of child care. It's quite possible that people lack the resources to move where the jobs are. For example, we note a few years ago when North Dakota started producing shale oil that there was a dearth of workers and getting people to move to North Dakota was was rather difficult. And of course, the retirement of the baby boomers looms as a major issue for the labor market. The oldest boomer turned 76 this year. We noted in earlier reports that the pandemic seemed to trigger retirements in boomers and that trend doesn't seem to have changed.
0: How does the current labor market bill compare to the recent past?
1: Well, in the most immediate term, we haven't addressed the impact of the pandemic fully. As noted, it seemed to trigger more retirements, and child care seems to be a real struggle, too. Overall, the labor market appears tight, as the unemployment rate suggests.
0: And what do current labor market trends suggest for the future?
1: Well... Lacking immigration or policies designed to encourage work, which would include affordable childcare, relocation assistance, steps to delay retirement, training, labor markets will likely remain tight. The Bureau of Labor Statistics suggests the labor force will only grow by 0.7% per year in the coming years.
0: The number of available jobs currently exceeds the number of available workers, according to all of the statistics we hear. I I can see how that would cause wage inflation. So it makes sense that the Fed's goal of cutting inflation might be achieved by actions that will either reduce the number of available jobs or raise the size of the workforce. Raising the size of the workforce seems like a much more pleasant solution.
1: Well, I would certainly agree with you that expanding the workforce would be a, a much nicer way to resolve this issue. As, as we noted earlier, childcare, relocation assistance, steps to keep older workers employed, and immigration are all possible solutions. But you can tell all are difficult to do politically. Paying for child care is tricky. Subsidies for child care may just simply lead to higher costs, as we saw with college tuition immigration is fraught with risk politically. Relocation assistance actually makes some sense, but it's arguable that employers should bear that cost, and keeping older workers in place can be an issue. Their medical costs can be higher, for example. They may be blocking a younger worker from advancing. Simply put, an employer may just simply prefer a younger worker, and at some point, as one can attest, you can just get simply too old to maintain the pace.
0: I'd like to uh, hammer on the issue of childcare just for a moment. It, it seems to me that subsidized childcare might solve a number of problems. It would help bring women back into the workforce, and it might encourage couples to have more children, thus increasing the size of the workforce in years to come. Are federal or state legislative actions to encourage this a, a realistic hope?
1: Well, there is a lot of talk of supporting such efforts, but actually putting a coalition together to execute that politically has not occurred as to date.
0: I can see how ordinary investors like me might be fooled about the strength of the economy by focusing on a modest unemployment rate. In your written report, you worry that Fed policymakers might be led astray because of the falling labor force.
1: How could this happen? The Federal Reserve system in total employs 400 Ph.D. economists. It seems hard to believe they could be fooled by such a single number. However, it isn't that they're fooled, it's that the Fed operates in a political environment. As we've noted often before, the Federal Reserve has two policy mandates, full employment low inflation. Even if these two don't conflict, as they sometimes can, conditions can lead the FOMC to focus solely on one goal. At present, 9.1% inflation is getting the full attention of policymakers, and thus, if the unemployment rate doesn't rise rapidly, they may use that as an excuse to lean further against price increases. As it should be evident, the unemployment rate is a good, but far from perfect measure of the labor market. If we are in a world where the labor force is falling— The unemployment rate may stay lower than it otherwise would. That may lead policy to be overly tight. Bill, you include some interesting
0: charts in in your written report. One of them suggests that by focusing too much on the unemployment rate, the Fed might, logically, target a 7% Fed funds rate or even higher. Can you explain?
1: Sure. We use a simple indicator of policy where we take the yearly change in the CPI and subtract it from the unemployment rate as the chart in the report shows, a model of that relationship relative to Fed funds suggests the Fed is woefully too easy and needs to aggressively raise rates. Never in history has this relationship been this divergent. Just to attain the persistently easy policies we've seen most of this century would require the Fed to raise rates to 7%. To achieve normal, 10% would be necessary. Obviously, if the unemployment rate rose or inflation fell, the indicator would show improvement. But as we detailed in this report, the unemployment rate could stay lower than what we have become accustomed due to the falling labor force. Thus, improvement may best come from falling inflation, and that may require tighter policy. After all, the Fed can only reduce demand. It can't bring ships to port, in China's COVID policies, or produce semiconductors.
0: Bill, how worried are you that the Fed will overshoot its tightening policy and create a recession?
1: Well, I'm quite worried. We have had low policy rates for a long time. And the move to raise rates will not only slow the economy, it could easily affect asset markets in ways that are difficult to forecast. And how do current confluence
0: asset allocation guidelines reflect concerns that the Fed will tighten too much?
1: Well, interesting you mention that, Phil, because on the day of this recording, we are in the process of rebalancing our portfolios, and we've made some some changes, which we'll detail in the next few days. We've exited most of our international stocks, and we've reduced equity allocations below benchmark for the most risk-adverse investors. And in the equity allocations we have made, we continue to favor defensive sectors and value In fixed income, we've shifted strongly toward treasuries, and we've added some fixed income to the risk-tolerant portfolios as well. These are all defensive portfolio strategies.
0: Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice, and this information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll, I'm Phil Adler.